I don't know much about you Racing through my head all thoughts about you Yeah You know I never try to hurt you You know And I hate to see you go Okay, what up, Pod Chat listeners? It is your boy Jordan again, and we are talking movies again because we cannot get enough of this binge watching stuff. If you heard the other episode the other day, uh, my boy Roger Brandstetter he joined me so we could talk about the Phantom Menace, uh, Star Wars because guess what, folks? There's a new Star Wars movie coming out in December, The Last Jedi. So we want to run through all of those Star Wars stories. Um, if you came here for more of that, you might be a little disappointed. But we hope we can bring the energy back up because we are talking DC and the Justice League because the Justice League have a movie coming out as well. Um, coming on November 13th, I believe. So I have another co-host with me, Quinn Kaiser. We are burning through um, the, I guess... Justice League universe as it stands right now, the DCU, um, starting with Man of Steel, we got Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, and one of my favorite superhero movies of all time, Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's right, just came out, but it's already up there as an all-timer to me. Um, Quinn, what up? Hey, hey, what is going on, Jordan? Good to be back on... Uh, I gotta admit, right off the bat, I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, so it's gonna be uh, when we maybe talk about that one at some point down the road. It's gonna be a, a fresh reaction for me, which I, I think will be enjoyable um, as well. But I, I'm excited to talk Man of Steel today. You know what? That's How are you e- doing? That's exciting because it's for me. I feel like Wonder Woman would be like if you had that ability to erase a TV show that you've seen before, and you're like, you know what? I wish I had just started fresh on this tv show and i could watch it like a a new person just diving in that's how i feel like it would be with wonder woman i love that oh i like i like that yeah i'm i'm excited to maybe bring back some some memories for you from your first time with uh wonder woman viewing did you see it in theaters i did i saw it in theaters i think like the first weekend i came out i went with some friends um that was actually the only time i've seen it so i I'm pretty pumped to watch it again. Um, I, I think you remember in in the group chat, I was actually pretty turned after I watched that movie. I was like, "Wonder Woman, fuck yeah! Let's go break some shit. Let's go, um, let's go fight some Greek gods." Spoilers, but um, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Uh, speaking yeah, absolutely. Of, speaking I'm, of spoilers, I'm... oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just, no, I was no, just I was gonna just throw gonna in. Wonder Woman gets me excited uh, just not even seeing it. I, I usually make it down to the Air and Space Museum like every every month. And they had a, a nice Wonder Woman um, 
suit there and i had to take a picture with it it's it's pretty sweet so i'm excited to actually see the movie it should be fun it is it's a great time um i was gonna say before speaking of spoilers um if you haven't seen man of steel we are going to be burning through that one um during this podcast we're gonna talk about some spoilery things probably um we'll probably see some spoilers from other movies as well we might end up talking about um squad or bvs batman vs superman um but let's let's just dive into man of steel this one came out what was it 2013 14 i remember we went to go see it in the movie theaters because i was a huge uh superman nerd for the most part and i was like yo let's go see this in the movie theater <laughs> yeah and we did it was it was a blast i i remember that day very fondly um it was a good time I enjoyed it. it was 2013. Uh, excited to to talk about it today. Just rewatched it the last two nights, split it into two, and uh, enjoyed it again. So excited to bring bring it all back together. Yes, a good couple nights when you can watch Man of Steel. Cause I forgot how much I actually loved this movie. I know it wasn't like it wasn't like Dark Knight or anything like that as far as reception, but I, I had a blast watching it again, like for the first time in quite a while. Um, I, I just think it's actually a really good film, and I don't think it gets enough credit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I looked it up actually before jumping on, and the uh, the Metacritic score was at fifty five, along with the Rotten Tomatoes score. But the audience score was up to seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think uh, I think it's getting some love from from the movie people instead of the the big movie corporation. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta trust the audience score over the critical reception because you know they may be looking for some other things in the film and not worried about just having a good time at the movies so that's what i look for in all my movies that's why i have favorites like san andreas and just really ridiculous but fun movies that's what i want to watch i want to watch all the fast and the furious movies in a row I don't care. If, I don't care if they're critically panned. <laughs> nice. Well, I think we'll maybe jump into one of my favorite movies a little later. Uh, but you want to get us <laughs> kicked off with Man of Steel here, and and we'll jump into it now that everybody uh, worried about spoilers. Maybe tuned us out. Yes, I can't wait to talk about favorite movies. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, Man of Steel. Let's burn through um, some topics. We're gonna go act by act. Um, as I was telling you off pod before that um i think i may have timed these acts off a little wrong i feel like act two went a little long but um maybe that's just the movie i don't know whatever we're gonna break it down to thirds anyway um so act one we're talking um the scene set at uh on krypton uh the planet we hear so much about in you know just pop culture, Krypton, Kryptonite, it's one of those things. Um, you have Jor-El, played by the great Russell Crowe as uh, Clark Kent, Superman, Kal-El, all three of those names will be using those interchangeably today. Um, his father, he is on the planet, he's trying to convince people not to s essentially siphon all the resources from the core of the planet. Um, I didn't really get a whole lot of clarification as to why they were doing that. I think it was just 
drawing a little bit of parallels to planet Earth, and they were doing it because they can. <laughs> Maybe there is some capitalism involved on Krypton, and they, you know, are selling resources and making bundles of money. Um, they talk about how they have outsourced um, a lot of their resourcing as well, uh, bringing things, harvesting from other planets. Um, but yeah, they are... I don't even know how to explain. How would you explain the draining of the resources here? Sure. So how um, how I saw the reason why they needed to harvest the core at the beginning of the movie that like it's the big jumping off point for us. Um, which it, it gets explained a little bit deeper in the movie, but it sounds to me like they expanded so much. They've they're recreating their atmosphere on all these planets and, and going outward and expanding, and they just got to a point where. Krypton at the, at the center of that expansion was too far away from the outer reaches and they needed to start bringing it back closer to conserve uh, all of their environmental resources and natural resources yeah. um, and were no longer able to support all of this expansion that they had had. So they started to bring it back in uh, and, and downsize, but then along with that downsize, it was just already at a point where it was out of control and they decided to harvest the core um, which basically sealed the planet Krypton's fate, and uh, I think we can maybe jump into the council um, that we see at the beginning and how, honestly, just flat out stupid it seems like they are ignoring their their general Zod and their their top scientist Jor-El, the the father of Superman. Um, how do they not understand environmental impact, I guess? Uh, and how did they allow it to get to this point? I, I don't really know. Um, there must be some intense kind of political ramifications, because those seem like some pretty good resources. <laughs> you know, if you are destroying the planet, you might want to take a, a beat and listen to them. Um, so basically what we have here is Jor-El trying to explain this to the council. Uh, General Zod, in the meantime, is staging a coup, um, he is going to try to take this Kryptonian council out of power to try to save things. Jor-El already knows that, guess what, it's too late. The planet's core is unstable. Um, Krypton, as we know at this point, is going to be eliminated. And as you know from Superman lore, that it is um, destroyed, essentially. Um, so Jor-El, he gets out of there after General Zod storms in, he goes and steals the Codex, um, which has all of the genic, genetic material uh, that the Kryptonians use to kind of already have people born. Um, they already have predestination all set up. So he takes um, that future generations, basically, of Kryptonians into this object that looks like half a skull. Um, he takes it back to his little home where his wife and little baby Superman is uh, sitting there waiting for him. Sends him off in the ship. General Zod comes and crashes the place, tries to blow up the super Superman's little capsule that essentially gets away um, because the council apparently got their shit together and stopped <laughs> General Zod's coup. Um, but then Superman is off to Earth. Um, so before we actually get to the Earth portion, um, 
love Russell Crowe throughout this entire movie. Uh, I think that's like the first thing that I wrote down is that Russell Crowe comes in and just bats a thousand because I love Russell Crowe and I think he's like a really good Jor-El and he plays it pretty well. Oh man, I love I love Russell Crowe. Uh, he was the the perfect father to Superman. I can see that in real life as well. Um, he's the man and plays the top scientist extremely well. I'm not sure how he became such a good fighter. He's in some some action scenes, but maybe it's just the <laughs> Russell Crowe swagger coming through. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Jor-El character alone is extremely interesting that Russell Crowe plays, and I, I honestly would love to see a, a prequel to Man of Steel about Russell Crowe as Jor-El and, and how um, the scientist figured out what was going on and uh, the entire plan of taking that codex and um, getting it off of Krypton to preserve their race. Um, I think that would be a pretty dramatic movie there. Um, and I also think it's interesting, it's interesting his relationship with Zod. Um, they seem to be opposed, but yet respectful of each other. Uh, I had written down in all caps, why didn't Zod go into Jor-El's home with the entire coup that's just sitting outside why didn't they just go in with everybody to get the codex? But I think they just have a, a really good, respectful relationship somehow. Um, and I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic that I'd love to to get into a little bit more. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a begrudging respect amongst the two. Um, it would be great to see that explored um, in some capacity. They are, we talked about this a little bit off pod, but they are... Uh, developing a Krypton show for sci-fi. Um, however, that has more to deal with um, Superman's grandfather than Jor-El himself, which, I mean, it's, it's slightly disappointing. I'd like to see things, but I think if they did start with Jor-El, they know they're already dealing with like a limited timeline, where if they do it with um, his grandfather, you know, you're talking two generations and they I don't know how successful they expect the show to be but at least they're giving themselves a little bit of a, a long rope there yeah I think I think so and maybe they throw him on that council and, and we can see some of the decisions that this this planet and people made that led them to the point that they uh, sent Kal-El to Earth to become Clark Kent yeah definitely that um, that's a good point too that would be cool to see him on the council um, before they send Kal-El off to Earth, um, it kind of introduces us to the central theme of this particular version of Superman, which I think is a great perspective to look at it. And it's um, essentially Russell Crowe explaining to his wife that he will be a god amongst men. Like, he will be kind of an impossible hero for them, but he can be a, like, a guiding light, basically. Um, and I, I think that's something that people forget about with Superman. They, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of don't like him so much as a character because he is invincible, except for, like, kryptonite, and he can fly, and he has laser vision, and he's, you know, fast as a speeding train, you can leap over buildings in a single bound, um, 
But I think the fact of, like, exploring Superman's humanity and how to deal with um, just being, like, that impossible um, is a good way to look at that. And I think we dive a little bit more into that with Batman vs. Superman, where they question, you know, is this guy just an alien invading or is he actually, like, a god coming down to be a savior and I think that's like a lot of responsibility for somebody who grew up like basically he's a dreamer <laughs> so he grew up in America he says in the movie that he's from Kansas he's about as American as it gets and having all of a sudden the responsibilities of the world thrust on him and I think that's just like a general theme we start to see throughout the movie to make people kind of see that Superman is not just this perfect, you know, impossible hero, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And even going into the Superman-Batman a little further and the ideal of Superman, it's almost like he's got these incredible powers and Batman is more of a symbol of this incredible capital um and I've always been a fan of, of Batman, but it, thinking about Superman in, in a little bit more depth as a character and seeing what he stands for as that guiding light, um, it's really a remarkable storyline to come up with this superhero who, who's guiding um, not just the nation of the United States where, where he's born, I guess, or lands, um, but guiding a, a people in a race and he's supposed to be kind of the bridge between uh, Krypton and, and Earth. And that's a lot on, on one person's shoulders, but Superman seems up for that task. Yeah, that kind of, um, that brings us to, like, the rest of Act 1. Um, basically, it's uh, Superman on Earth. We get some flashbacks into his past as a child um, and how he kind of has to deal with that growing up. Uh, he's also as an adult, trying to find hints and clues about who he is as a person, because obviously he knows he is super different, pun intended, um, from everybody else in the world, and he needs a little bit more information than just like, yeah, you're from a different planet, Clark, and um, you're stronger than everybody else, and you're more powerful, and you can like literally see through shit. Um, I, I think that would leave me with some questions as well. Yeah, and those flashbacks to teenage Clark Kent um, speaking with his, his Earth father, Kevin Costner, um, which, by the way, what an amazing pair of dads he has. Um, Top shelf. But, Just great dads. <laughs> but it, it seems like teenage Clark Kent understands that he's there for a bigger reason and is pretty qu quizzical about what his purpose is because he knows that there's something bigger. Um, and I, I just can't imagine being a child and having these superpowers where you can see through people's skin and you hear everything. And um, it's pretty remarkable story thinking about this child growing up with what today would basically be factors that would get him diagnosed with anything ranging from ADHD to autism to hyperactivity and 
this seems to be a functioning child as well in our society. Yeah, and as we see through the um, the flashbacks, it kind of makes him into an outcast. Um, so not only is he dealing with the fact that he's truly different, um, which I think essentially a lot of people can relate to being uh, growing up different or a little bit weird, um, and it, it makes him an outcast. He has to deal with that on top of not having any sort of true identity and having to seek that out. I think that's just a, an interesting part of Superman. I mean, maybe you get that and you understand that if you watched Smallville or something like that, but uh, it's good to see that on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. Nice summer movie with positive messages. Always, always good to, to feed that in uplifting um so yeah i i have act two kind of ending with um superman discovering this ship that's essentially buried in ice up in canada um he goes in there uh there's a not really an easter egg but it's pretty overt that when he goes into the ship i mean everybody else is dead he sees um just old mummified remains basically but one capsule is open so there's still the suggestion for Kara L his cousin I believe yeah his cousin to be out there roaming around earth um and this is something that I think is playing into Justice League because there's a rumor around the internet um if you watch the trailer closely that's Kara L might be actually the person showing up at the end of the trailer that Alfred is talking to and not actually Superman himself. Um, there's just some some talk about like the cape length and the the way, the clothes that you can see from the very minimal visual that you have. Um, and I don't think they would put that little Easter egg of an open um, little pod within this ship just... I mean, they linger there with the camera for a decent amount of time. It's not an accident, I don't think. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, I love Easter eggs. <laughs> um, I, I didn't pick up on that one, so I'm glad you brought that to my attention. Um, it's kind of blowing my mind right now a little bit, actually, thinking about, about that and <laughs> making me excited. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, that's, that's the sound of my head exploding over here. Um, but yeah, it makes me intrigued to see not only Wonder Woman but the next iterations into the Justice League. Yeah, I was I was literally just gonna say that with the success of Wonder Woman, like why the hell not would they want to double down on you know a, just a powerful female character that you know little girls want to go for Halloween as you know why not double down on that? What are you gonna? I mean, I know a lot of people want to see the Green Lantern and have that. Uh, line pop into the DC universe again to kind of recorrect the Ryan Reynolds fiasco, but I mean, what? Why not add a, another woman? I mean, Wonder Woman was pretty damn great, and we saw that a female-led superhero movie can be carried. Um, I think Marvel is taking some notes, and they should. <laughs> nice. Um, but let's go through Act Two. Um, Act Two is kind of a long one. It's a what I was saying before at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I have it through Superman testing out his powers outside of the Fortress of Solitude. He finally gets the 
Superman costume, um, which is essentially as we see also on the planet of Krypton that these the Superman outfit is not just some costume that somebody makes for him. It's essentially underwear for battle armor, um, which I think is like kind of a nice touch uh, because he needs some sort of suit that is essentially impenetrable for all the dope stuff that he does. Um, going through Act 2, we get the kind of emotional John Kent death scene. I got super sad at that part. Um, so we have a flashback. We finally see what happened to John. He passes away from a tornado in Kansas. Uh, basically, Superman, yes, you could have stopped him, but John was just like, no, don't like reveal how powerful and how fast you are to save me. Like, Protect yourself and your future identity. Um, and then the... Basically, the Kryptonians um, from General Zod, we forgot to mention this in Act 1, they get sent to the Phantom Zone for their war crimes, um, but the Phantom Zone essentially sets them free once Krypton was blown up, so they've been searching all this time for um, other life on Kryptonian outposts. They find the Superman beacon, because when he activates the Fortress of Solitude ship, that's what leads them to Earth. They do this, like really terrifying alien message that shows up on every single like electronic device with the screen. Um, I think that would cause some mass hysteria. Uh, they want Superman to turn himself over. Um, before we get to the final part, because I think we have a lot to talk about with like the Smallville fight, um, I think the Fortress of Solitude, when he's like testing his powers and seeing how far he can go, that's, like, my favorite part of the movie. I love that part, and I think it's a really great and emotional scene because, of course, you have Russell Crowe in there once again, um, just batting a thousand with these, these awesome quotes. What if a child dreamed of becoming something other than what society had intended for him or her? What if a child aspired to something greater? That I, I just love. I love that part. I don't know about you. Yeah, I do as well. Um, I really think about that scene where he's learning to fly and trying to just, like, put myself into that situation and, like, learning how to steer in the air. Like, what does that feel like? I'm sure for the first time it's just, like, I just think that scene does a really good job of, like, pulling you into thinking about something like that and almost, like, putting yourself into a, a superhero, Superman role of discovering your powers and discovering all that you can be. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a powerful little, little segment there and, and certainly pulled me in for the next act for Superman becoming fully unleashed on the big screen. Yeah. And part of that, what makes it so powerful is because you have, uh, like I mentioned before, Russell Crowe just dropping these excellent quotes that are, not only like inspirational and motivational to you as a person, but it kind of details like Dorel's entire mantra, like basically everything that he stands for. Because he talks about what if a child had aspired to something greater? Like, what if a child wanted to be something more than what um, was predestined for them? Um, so I think that is kind of a, a play on. A, 
humans just predetermined, um, you know, if they feel like they have a predetermined path and like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what I'm supposed to be. He's like, hey, don't be afraid to dream bigger. And this was like the problem with the Kryptonians is what he's saying too, is that they essentially just elected for people what they were going to be. Like, hey, this is what you were born for, this is your primary mission in life, so go and do it. Yeah, I think Jor-El is honestly... I think he's my favorite character in the movie. He's not my MVP, I won't spoil that quite yet. Oh, yeah. But he kind of embodies, like, when Superman's being created and you think about America, American idealism and scientists from around the world coming to the United States um, and making better lives for their families and developing just awesome stuff for the United States because that's where you wanted to be at that time, that that Superman's on the rise in comic books. And Jor-El kind of is that embodiment uh, and puts that as a, that embodiment into his son, Kal-El, of this child who is going to have all the weight of the world on his shoulders and all these obstacles and challenges, but is is the American dream of, of fighting up to the top and, and making a better life um, and kind of making a better life for everyone not just himself but like raising up everybody around him as well i think at that time that was kind of what the united states was doing is bringing up the entire world with our technological advancement our um just pushing the bar in industry as well um so Jarrell, yeah I, I could talk about him honestly for the entire podcast uh as a scientist <laughs> in krypton who um, seems to have all these life answers just all figured out. Uh, wonderful character and very well done by Russell Crowe. Yeah, and we, we forgot to mention, too, at this point, Jor-El is not... I mean, he didn't somehow survive the Kryptonian implosion or stabbing from General Zod in the first act, but he's actually just a an AI, a really smart AI that might have some of Jor-El's, like, thoughts and ideas um i'm sure his responses are actually pretty limited but um you just know based on how he was speaking of his son um one thing we forgot to mention too is that he was the superman was the first natural birth for krypton in decades um not sure how long it truly was but he just he knew he knew what his son was capable of even though he only met the baby Cal L. Um he says towards the end of the movie as an AI towards General Zod he's like, My son is going to kick your ass and he's going to win. That's not an exact quote, but that's like just how I interpret it in my mind because Russell Russell Crowe's a badass. Um Do you want to talk about the uh Smallville fight? Yeah, I just one last quick note on Torella, I think um just as a bigger message out to all fathers to just believe in your sons and, and daughters for that matter as well. And believing in your kids, uh, can be a powerful thing and, and can't, can't let that get, uh, out of this conversation without mentioning it. So goodbye, you dads. Exactly. Um, have that sort of intuition. Uh, so before the Smallville fight, actually, I want to double back cause for me, this is kind of the part in the movie where I can see kind of maybe lost people. 
everything up until then I thought was perfect. I thought the flashbacks uh, were put in for a specific reason, and you know you didn't have to dive into a whole lot of um, essential origin story tropes where you're just going from point A to point B. Oh, this superhero discovers he's a superhero, he gets his powers, blah blah blah. They kind of go back and forth, chopping through with the flashbacks, um, but essentially. He goes to the. He does turn himself in to General Zod and all of his uh, Kryptonian goons, uh, and then Superman has some sort of acid dream um, that I don't really understand, and they didn't really explain how General Zod actually showed up in this sort of lucid, imaginary bit. He kind of explains to him how he's going to um, essentially rebuild Krypton on Earth, but. Yeah, this is this is the part for me. I love this movie. I don't want to like defame it at all, but I I can see how this portion just lost people because it kind of made me question. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I had thoughts. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, it seems like the flashbacks for Clark Kent, to younger Clark Kent, for flashbacks to to Cal Al, um, that all made sense. But anytime they like pulled in Zod. It seemed like they pulled him in and then explained what you had already just watched and how they got there. Uh, I think as a viewer, I, I think we're pretty sophisticated viewers and could have handled seeing uh, a little bit more about even how how Zod and, and his group that tried to perform the coup figured out where Superman was. Like I think we could have seen that real time. Uh, and I think we could have kind of kept the timeline, I guess, a little bit more intact with that group. It almost felt to me like they forgot about that conflict and needed to write it back into the next scene quick to, to come up for the bigger conflicts coming up in the movie. Um, I'm not sure if you, you felt that way, but it seemed like the Zod kind of conflict was looming in the background, but they didn't really do a good job of, like, as a moviegoer, I didn't feel this existential threat coming from them until, oh, yeah, there's Zod again showing up on my iPad to tell me that Superman needs to turn himself in. Yeah, I thought, I mean, they, they did a little back-end work here where they kind of tried to have Zod explain, you know, again, with the predestination stuff, like, hey, I was born to be a soldier and a warrior, and I was born to protect Krypton, essentially... By all costs, um, basically, he in the first act he has the I have to save Krypton from itself um, because I know better. Uh, in the second act, he has to just go in and he doesn't he doesn't care about another race of species, which I think is a little bit crazy. Um, but apparently, he does have enough people to follow him and. Um, I don't. I don't think he was like a very charismatic leader to just to get people to commit genocide. Um, I don't know. I I would follow Michael Shannon in any movie. I don't really <laughs> care what movie he's in. I'm all in on Michael Shannon. But um, yeah, that that part, like the dream sequence and everything on top of that, it, that sequence just kind of it threw me off. Um, but yeah, that that's just how I felt. Yeah, and I totally understand that the Zod character isn't, like, he's not the main point of this movie. The main point of the movie is is Superman 
discovering himself and, and us discovering Superman along with it. But I love a good villain conflict. I love a good villain. So play it up a little bit more would be my, my, my only real critique of the film. Yeah, and that's something that's difficult to do as Marvel has seen that they're villains. I mean, other than Loki, who's kind of a anti-hero anyway, their villains are kind of hard to be memorable in. Um, I mean, Winter Soldier was a great movie because they didn't necessarily have a solid villain until they revealed it at the end. Um, whereas if you have... I'm trying to think of a good Marvel example here. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Great movie. I uh, really loved the first one, but I don't even remember the villain's name. I know he was a blue dude. I know he was really angry all the time. Uh, he had some sort of goal to destroy, but I feel like that's what, what Zod is. Just basically a, a villain that has a goal to destroy, and that's like all the depth we kind of get. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Um, I, I I love a, a good villain, so yeah, I'd love to play it up a little more. But I, I totally understand why they didn't go that route as well. So kind of nitpicking on my end. Don't wanna don't wanna take away from the overall movie. I totally enjoy it, but I I do enjoy his villains. So yeah, again, I mean Michael Shannon, love you, Michael <laughs> Shannon. Um, yeah, and he he was perfect cast for that as well. Like. Played it, played it wonderfully. Would have loved a little bit more, honestly. Yes, and then towards the end of Act Two, it's time to destroy Smallville. All right. <laughs> Woo. Um, weak, weak on the Rasta horn. <laughs> I know my volume was turned down. That was that was disappointing. <laughs> we'll do um, it again. All right, here we go. Build it up. <laughs> There we go. All right, the Smallville battle. Um, yeah, one thing, I mean, Zack Snyder can shoot the hell out of an action scene. I mean, he's done that throughout, uh, basically that's what he's built his career on, <laughs> is being able to shoot dope action scenes. Um, I, I wrote down that it was basically 300, but with superpowers. Um, and the people that were fighting, it's Superman against, um, God, what's her, Feora? Um, that other big dude, they're literally just chucking each other around and throwing trains and shit. Um, but people might be questioning, like, hey, why did Superman basically spend years trying to develop his powers? Um, and they, they kind of explain this towards the end, but really you just have to keep in mind that these are trained warriors, and even without superpowers, they would probably know how to fight really well um so that's essentially why superman just gets his ass beat a little bit in this scene yeah absolutely that was um another point i had here was who taught superman how to fight um john scott the um john King. yeah kevin costner's out, out <laughs> in the backyard teaching him how to brawl teaching um, him how to dance with but moves. i think i think uh zach Snyder did a really great job here um portraying it as it, it was going to be a struggle, even though he is Superman. Uh, we certainly have seen him do these amazing feasts throughout the movie, um, whether it be rescuing everybody off that bus or um, jumping over buildings. Uh, Superman, just normal Superman shit. Crashing um, into IHOP. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I think they did a good job of evening it out of, of kind of putting them on an even enough playing field that I was definitely into that battle scene. I, in general, when I'm watching a battle scene in superhero movies, I often fall into the category where I'm like, oh, really? No, like, come on, seriously? They're going to do that? Like, did they really need to destroy all that? Um, yeah. But for this one, um, I started out with just the notes from, from Reddit, Reddit, some tips on on what to look for and, like, some, some Easter eggs in this scene. Oh, there we go. And I totally just missed it, though. I I was too into the battle to, to catch those Easter eggs. Yeah, um, I think this is a great scene. It kind of gives um, Feora, because she's a pretty, Feora is a pretty big character within, like, the Superman um, canon, but she didn't really get a lot of screen time except for some good shots in the beginning um but you kind of get to she gets some dialogue you see what kind of like weird you know crony she kind of is um some interesting casting with Feora too we'll get into that a little bit later um but yeah one of the things I know we have like the awesome fighting and all the all the shit just blowing up all the shit um but we, we didn't talk about Christopher Maloney's character yet. Um, you guys know Christopher Maloney. What's his detective name in SVU? Um, I haven't watched that in too long. Um, do you remember it? I can't remember. I, I didn't watch SVU, sorry. Anyway, Christopher Maloney, Google his face, you'll know him. Um, that guy's a damn hero, okay? Because he, um, essentially him and his crew get shot down while they're trying to fight these super-powered beings. Um, he comes face to face with Feora. He whips out like this little janky knife that he's, but he's fucking ready. He is ready to just fight like this super powered being with a knife, and he doesn't care if he's about to get taken out. He's just ready to essentially do his duty for his country. Um, I love Christopher Maloney's character in this. I don't know why. I'm geeking out over it. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel? Yeah. He's, yeah. He's got some pretty wonderful. Um, like he maybe makes like 15 minutes of, of screen time into this huge thing though and, and excellent um, like the scene with him and Fora doing the um, I don't I'm blanking on the line but it's, it's a wonderful line of oh is it during the, the honor and a good death oh, is oh, that the okay. line no I thought you were talking about the one where they're essentially doing the uh, prisoner exchange where Superman's turning himself over and Feora is like, or they want Lois Lane, and Feora is like, oh yeah, um, see, he wants or Zod wants Lois Lane too, and he's like, that's not part of the deal. And then she's like, shall yeah, I tell absolutely. him you, um, should I tell him you're not going to comply, Christopher Maloney? I don't care what you tell him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, was, that total, was a great line. <laughs> just total badass, Colonel. Just like you totally know where you stand with him, and. He's a he's a fun little add-in. This this cast uh, I've got him, and then um, I, I also enjoyed um, just throwing Doug Stamper into the mix at the Daily Planet. <laughs> Michael uh, Kelly. But both those guys, uh, maybe not Doug Stamper so much, but Christopher Maloney was excellent. I'm glad to see like he <laughs> after his little stint as a chief of staff, he had a second career as a sports journalist. Um, <laughs> 
But well, we talked about in the group chat because this is the pod chat show. Um, you you power ranked the the fight moves, right? Yes, sir. I did. I did a top five for the Smallville battle, the the battle move power rankings. I called them. I like this. Um, this is gonna be like Monday Night Raw. <laughs> yeah. So coming in, I'm just gonna jump right into it. Coming in at number five, I put the missile from the U.S. Air Force. Uh, the reason why this is number five, uh, I mean, I, I love our troops, but they took so many shots in this scene. They lost like three planes and one helicopter, and they only landed this one missile. Granted, that it, it, it took care of what it needed to take care of, but it's going to come in at number five. Um, didn't seem like a good shooting percentage there by the U.S. Air Force. Uh, granted, fighting against some super villains, I guess, kind of getting super, super strength, so... Yeah, you maybe they admit, weren't set up to succeed. They were ill prepared. That that's <laughs> that's as much as you know. <laughs> it just cracks me up when when in these movies are like even in Transformers and they throw in the army or the the air force and they just are totally outmatched by th- these extraterrestrial guns and weapons. But so that one's coming in at number five, the missile from the U.S. Air Force. Uh, the number four is. Um, I don't know what the name of the character is. He's the, like, big robot-looking dude with Fiora. Um, he throws yeah. a train uh, near the end of the battle. That's pretty uh, that gangster. Came, <laughs> yeah, that one came in at number four. I mean, like, this is top five. There's a lot of moves going on, so number four is very respectable. Um, but that was just a sweet, sweet train throw. Um, Good arm number three. <laughs> number three is uh, Superman throwing that big robot dude up in the air and punching him back down to earth. Um, just a just a badass move to throw somebody up and then punch them with so much strength that you can change their physics and velocity from going up to now coming back down into the earth. I mean, at uh, this point in the movie, he had very few good fight moments, but at this, yeah, he that was a pretty good one. Yeah, and then number two, I've got Superman laser eyes. Like, I think this is the first time he... He really used them besides lighting up the doorknob on his teacher. Um, (laughs) But he used them here in this fight scene to perfection. And, like, anytime you have laser eyes in a battle, you win. Like, that's amazing. Uh, Maybe not, though, because I only have it at number two. Um, But Superman laser eyes coming to number two. And number one is, I'm not even sure what to call this, but Fora does this little sliding thing. Where she's like moving so fast that she's just like jump sliding and oh, punching yeah. people during that jump slide. I don't. Yeah, I definitely. I rewatched that scene. About. I rewatched that part like three or four times because I was like, "Holy cow, that's awesome!" Like whatever she is doing, that to me stole the stole the fight scene. Uh, was her little jump slide, like teleport punch into into the the U.S. Army uh, that was just kind of set up as as chess pieces for her to just knock down all over the place with that move. So I put it at, up at number one. Yeah, I think that's actually, like, the part that made me literally write down 300 but with superpowers because <laughs> I thought that was just a pretty dope sequence. Um, number two, though, I, I like that you have the laser eyes at number two because I don't know why he didn't use this a little bit more because this was clearly an ability that the other... Uh, two that he was fighting haven't discovered that they're able to do on Earth yet. So I'm like, hey, you might as well just, you know, pull every sort of trick out of the hat at this point and, you know, go just ball out. Just use those laser eyes. 
slice him in half. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a, a distinct advantage, and when he did use it, it was widely successful. So, yeah. love me some laser eyes. Um, so, starting with Act Three, um, at this point, we find out that the well, at least the Kryptonians that are invading also find out that the um, the Codex is not that little Superman. Uh, what looks like a USB drive. It's not that's not the codex, but the codex is actually imprinted on Superman's individual cells. Um, so we're talking obviously just millions and millions of um, codex data downloaded onto Superman's uh, physical body. Um, they realize that hey, we just got to go get Superman, and he doesn't need to be alive uh, in order to extract the codex from his cells. Um, so they are going to launch another attack. They release the world engine, uh, one in the Indian Ocean, one essentially over Metropolis. Uh, basically, it uh, terraforms, so they're changing the, um, I guess, the environment to suit them and basically turning Earth into Krypton through gravity and science that I don't understand, but Richard Schiff's character definitely does understand. Um, so I'm grateful for Richard Schiff. Um, and then the climactic battle. Um, basically, this is where a lot of people had some issues, too, because there was just clearly a lot of collateral damage. Um, they addressed this in Batman vs. Superman as the point for Batman's rage and disdain for soups. Um, uh, long story short, this third act is basically all action. Um... The Kryptonians get sucked into a black hole um, for more science that escapes me at this point, but they essentially do something with the crap that brought Superman to Earth, and it creates a black hole. Sucks in part of the world engine. Um, battle scene with General Zod. Uh, they're busting buildings. Buildings are falling down. Uh, they're crashing into satellites. They end up in essentially a train station where all of a sudden the fighting is just very brotherly and they're in a chokehold. Zod tries to kill a family because he discovers that he has laser vision too. And this is where Superman snaps his neck. He just kills him. Uh, the superhero that doesn't kill, part of Superman's mantra. Um, so a big issues with the third act, I think a lot of uh, critics and Superman diehards might have had with it. Yeah, I think those are justified, too. Um, I don't know if Superman really needed to kill General Zod. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's the villain, obviously, um, and you want to end that. Um, but it seemed like he could have somehow gotten him back into um, this frozen-in-time state that he had previously been in. Um, um, without having to, to kill this family, I, I've got one other note here. Um, it didn't seem like that laser was really working on the wall while he was holding it up against the wall. I mean, uh, if it's coming out of your eyes, you'd think you would just stare directly at the family and then maybe shoot the lasers? I don't know. Maybe it's too powerful to actually move that quickly. Yeah, so for me, like that scene part was just like, it was corny, which didn't do it any favors i'm sure to the to the diehard superman community um it just seemed really corny and almost like 
they wanted this big debate about whether Superman should have killed them. Or basically, uh, Superman didn't kill the family, but had to make the choice of whether that family lived or died. Um, and they kind of made a big deal out of that, but the execution on it was really corny to me, uh, which took away from the scene. But I'm certainly happy to discuss whether Superman needed to, to make that choice um, and ignore the corniness for now. Um, it is a, a popcorn flick at the end of the day, so, uh, so I can put that aside and have a, a bigger debate on whether Superman should be killing Zod and, in doing so, sacrificing for human lives. It's the, the age-old psychological, psychology question of <laughs> a train's coming down the tracks, um, and you've got the lever, and you can flip the lever, and four people on the train die, or you cannot flip, flip the lever and this one person on the track dies, um, whether you save that one person or, or make the choice to kill the other four, like, uh, is kind of that question for me, which is, there's really no great answer. Um, I'm going to be in the camp of Superman should have found another way. Is there... Because he's Superman. Is the person on the train tracks, though, a psychopath? <laughs> is he crazy? <laughs> is he bent on human genocide? Um, Does that matter? Maybe. I guess maybe it's one of those questions. If you go back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? Would you? I don't know. I mean, it's a baby, but I, anyway, we're getting off track. Um, I will say before this, before this portion, um, speaking of corny, give Michael Shannon a script and he'll deliver, but I don't even think he could save some of these lines. Uh, I thought Zod towards the end had some pretty cheesy dialogue. Um, I mean, he landed his plane. He he got the audience to understand what the dialogue was all meaning, but I thought it was pretty cheesy. Um, I think Superman needed to kill Zod. That's the camp I'm in. I'm totally okay with the, um, the next snap. I mean, it was maybe a little jarring for some younger audiences, clearly, but, um, I, I thought it was necessary. I know there was this whole debate about how much grittier the DC Comics uh, movie universe wanted to be than Marvel, who's a little bit lighter and, you know, throwing comedy in there. Um, I, I didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, the only problem I had with that scene was that Superman does need to have a little bit more wherewithal to bring the fight outside of a major city uh, to prevent collateral damage. Um, I know buildings are great to fly around and hide behind, but when they're literally splitting in half and murdering hundreds of people, that might not be good. Um, we'll say, quick note though, in Batman vs. Superman, he kind of finally understands this lesson because he takes, um, he takes Doomsday into space, um, and actually away from the city, he leads them away from the city to reduce collateral damage in that one, but that's not this movie, so he's... He's a young hero who essentially needs to learn. Um, I, I Maybe that's just me. I just did not have a problem with him killing Zod. I don't know. Yeah, I agree uh, that he didn't quite understand the collateral damage at this stage. Which, <laughs> it's probably understandable. Like In this movie, he discovers that he's Superman and what he can all do, and he's still discovering it by the end. Um, so that it like makes sense, and it totally does a great job of setting up into the Batman versus Superman. Um, but yeah, I, I'm thinking during that scene, like, dude, fly somewhere else. 
Like, just fly anywhere else right now. All these people are dying. I've also got written down, did they really need to run into the satellite in space uh, or orbiting Earth during the fight? Which, it looked really cool, yeah, but, like, they could have just gone up to space and, and fought it out. Um, Literally but fly totally over understand. the ocean. Fly over the ocean and do your <laughs> fist fighting there. Yeah, absolutely. But I, like, I totally understand for the cinematic experience. It's great. Um, so, like, it served a dual purpose in that it's great for the screen. Uh, it's dramatic. It's um, placed in everybody's everyday life. Um, but at the same time, sets up for that Batman vs. Superman. Uh, but I guess I want to dig in a little bit further. If you think it's okay that Superman ultimately made the decision to have that family of four also die with Zod. Wait, what do you mean? They didn't die. Are you sure? Because we don't see them live. Well, that's true. The laser could have gotten away. I mean, he might have just essentially helped the laser eyes get the family. Um, I don't think that was part. Of, I don't think that's an Easter egg, though. <laughs> they might have died. No, I, I, um, I'm not saying it's an Easter egg, but like when I was watching it, my concern was for the family, and then they never ever showed whether that family walked away okay or not. It's like it's fine. Like if if they are happy and well and they survived that's great i would have just loved to like just like maybe show me even just a a couple bodies in the background walking away or something (laughs) i was like looking for it because it's a really it should be a pretty intense scene of of superman making the choice to kill zod um and the family's like in the corner nowhere to go and then it just like ends with superman just like screaming and lois lane walks in yeah, I mean, maybe the family could have just maybe thrown a, a thank you in there or, like, a pat on the <laughs> back because Superman is probably crying. Um, I think the scene, or at least the instance of killing Zad was supposed to invoke some sort of... something that just Superman's going to have to live with for the rest of his life. Um, so I think that's maybe bringing him down to human level a little bit more because he will have burdens. And... For me, if we're trying to be as realistic as possible with these movies and with Superman, there's no way that he can go an entire film series without killing somebody, even on accident. Like, we know that based on the fighting and all the collateral damage we were talking about just before, General Zod is not his first kill. Like, he he inadvertently <laughs> killed other people. It's not... It's about, like, a thousand? Yeah, it's not going to be tried as... Uh, murder one, but he's definitely up for some manslaughter charges on the other thousands of people he killed. And then General Zod may be a, a murder two charge, because I don't think it was necessarily premeditated to kill him. <laughs> That's just my, my take on it. it has That's, to be fair. That's fair. I, I can, you know, I can like, I can brush off all the fallen buildings and, and people in their mid-work day at the, the Daily Planet. Like, I can brush all that doom off Uh, i just want to know if that family lived or not (laughs) oh speaking of daily news worst character in the entire movie is that woman in the purple blouse that's with michael kelly and Lawrence fishburne and jenny yeah oh my god she was absolutely awful she was so annoying i don't know why um maybe i'm just being mean but i'm just like this chick like she's just getting herself into trouble. She's screaming and yelling and not making moves like my man Morpheus. 
Um, I don't know. I just thought that was super annoying. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that. It seemed almost like they didn't need a, a couple of characters there from the, the Daily Planet. Uh, Could have maybe just saved us 10 minutes as, as viewers and just not had that drama. It didn't. I wasn't super concerned about Jenny. Uh, I think that's her name. Um, when she was trapped in the rubble, I wasn't like concerned that they weren't going to get her out. I wasn't on the edge of my seat for that. That's not what I was there for. Um, I was a little see, nervous. I, I could have done without that. They're expendable characters. I was a little nervous. Didn't want to see uh, see Perry die like that so quickly. Um, <laughs> should we do? That's fair. Should we do some deep dive internet research topics? first or should we just talk about the movie MVP because we basically just summarize the entire thing yeah let's this seems like a good point to give our MVP we've we've wrapped it up um, all right one last piece on the daily uh, planet um, it was really it was a really long movie to to get just to the end for a welcome to the planet joke landed by Lois Lane uh, to Clark Kent I didn't even catch that. <laughs> In all my viewings of Man of Steel, I did not catch that pun. That was a dad oh, joke. It was, it was the low-hanging dad joke, and they made it. And oh my god! I didn't even realize that. Welcome. We didn't. To the we planet. didn't really talk about Lois Lane quite yet. I'm, I'm sure we're gonna dive deeper into her. Um, man, it was, a, it was a long planet. movie to, to fit that in. She said to the alien, "Oh my god." My mind's blown away. <laughs> I'm gonna go Very rewatch. Shattering moment for, I'm gonna go rewatch the movie just to get to that part. <laughs> it's like the last scene, I think. Um, okay, who's your MVP? My MVP. So I love Jor-El. Wonderful scientist, Russell Crowe, amazing actor. Love him. Love Kevin Costner. Love the the father son relationship. Uh, I love that dynamic that Kevin Costner battles of making the decision kind of for for young Clark Kent of, of when to reveal his superpowers. But I'm going to go teenage Clark Kent. Teenage Clark Kent is my MVP. Oh, interesting. dive into him as, as deep as, as I'd like to right now. Uh, like I said earlier, he just wants to do something useful, and he knows that he's built for greater things, and he already recognizes that he has something special about him. Um but he really has some battles that as a, a teenager, um, like he's 13 to 15 on that school bus saving people. Um, he had some pretty kind of intimate moments. Uh, I count the moment with uh, with his dad, John Kent, uh, passing away in the tornado as, as teenage Clark Kent uh, and making some tough choices on kind of the, the scale of when do I show my superpowers where is it okay? Where is it not okay? And, and even as a young, young middle schooler getting picked on uh, and kind of being an outcast, and, and this group of kids throw him against a fence, like the fence bends that we see later because he's so strong. Uh, and I think for me at that age, I would have had a temper and just like got up and like pushed the kid back or something. And if I had superhero strength, I probably would have given that kid a concussion by accident. Uh, and he really seems to manage it well uh, and has some really like really tough battles as like a, a young teen male growing up and figuring out who he is and and I think this movie was really about figuring out who Superman was uh, and we see that played out with with young teenage Clark figuring out who he is that's a pretty good MVP and more of a 
I mean, not essentially. Teenage Clark Kent isn't the the main character. It's more adult Clark Kent, but obviously that was just an integral part to making Superman who he is. Obviously, as a as a human being, kind of rationalizing the way he acts, and um, obviously just it's a it's a good combo because you got obviously bits of Jonathan Kent and Jor El. I mean, wrapped up into this teenage uh, Clark Kent. So I, I like that. I agree with that. Um, my MVP, I talked about him a lot before. I was all super hyped up. Uh, Colonel Hardy. I'm going Colonel Hardy as my MVP, uh, Mr. Christopher Maloney. And um, I have rationale for this, so I'm not just saying that because Christopher Maloney's character was super dope and had awesome lines. Um, but because he, he was a hero. He's the one that kind of... Um, he stopped the world engine because, I mean, obviously Superman blew up the other one, but um, he sent the other lackeys into the this black hole by essentially sacrificing himself um, and just being a, a, a patriot. He was just a true... Maybe I'm just pandering to all the Americans out there, but I, I thought it was uh, pretty MVP-like for him to make his sacrifice for the greater good. Um, I just thought he was a great character. I almost said uh, Richard Schiff's character as well, the Doctor, because he's the one that actually figures out that the uh, the <laughs> thing was not lined up. That's why the little codex peace thingy wasn't I'm, I'm doing a bad st job of explaining this but he's he's smart so he could have been mvp as well yeah they're a a, a really good team uh, i think and in, in that you've got the colonel who he's got some really great lines of like when he recognizes that superman isn't against them when he says like this is not our enemy yeah uh, it's, he's got like three really memorable lines in the movie he's got that one he's got the there's honor and a good death and then flipping that back on Fiora when he crashes the plane to, to save everybody. Um, yeah, he's just a really well-rounded character making, making really good moral choices, um, for everybody and not just himself. Um, and then his, his scientist friend, uh, Dr. Emo Hamilton, uh, does a very wonderful job as well. I, I really enjoy the scene where Superman is, has turned himself in to Colonel and they're kind of allow Lois Lane to interview him. And he sees uh, Dr. Emo through the glass and, and tells him what's in his pocket kind of stuff. Um, and it just seems like I, I would love to just have Superman and Dr. Hamilton in the same room for like a 15 minute scene of just Dr. Hamilton, like asking him questions. So I think he would just come up with some really amazing questions to ask this terrestrial being who's now a superhero yeah i have you ever seen that movie with um uh what's her name i'm picturing her face um there's goldie hawn and um amy schumer amy schumer the one where their uh, mother and daughter uh whatever they get kidnapped and christopher maloney shows up in that movie and he he just comes in as a relief pitcher just striking out three batters on nine pitches it's great um yeah he's a he's a wonderful closer just coming in just execute for 15 <laughs> minutes cash that check and, and become an mvp <laughs> exactly um one thing 
I was gonna say too. You brought this up with the the family. Um, are we are we sure they're dead? I think that should be a new <laughs> new little segment. Are we sure they're dead? Because <laughs> um, I know Christopher Maloney. He made the the plane go into the uh, world engine to create this black hole. Um, we know Richard Schiff's character, Emil Hamilton, was on that plane, and this is the part where Lois Lane, you know, just flies off the back end because she, she just bounces. She has she no spatial awareness, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they go into this black hole. Um, I know I was doing a little bit of research on black holes, and you likely just get torn apart. But um, <laughs> this is a comic book movie. Are we sure they're dead? I mean, this could bring up some more adversaries for Superman down the line. Uh, who knows? You never know. Never say never that's unless a, you see their death on screen. That's a good question. Uh, we aren't sure they're dead. Can, can we throw um, Kevin Costner into there as well? Are we sure he's dead? Oh, I wish he wasn't dead. Oh, man. That'd be great. There's, a, have there's a, a lot of really good characters that I, I think met their demise, and I, I was moved uh, emotionally. Um but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the colonel's actually dead. It, it seems like it, but who knows? Costner has a pretty good uh, little scene in Batman vs Superman. I think it kind of it, it makes a pretty good part in the movie. Um, nice. Yeah, I actually I don't have a whole lot of uh, little deep dive internet nuggets. Uh, one portion I thought that we would like especially is I w- definitely looked into Henry Cavill's workout plan. Um, because he, he didn't want to take any steroids. He didn't want CGI. Um, he just essentially became a bodybuilder for this role. He trained for like nine months or no, not nine, 11 months straight. Um, he would drink five, 1000 calorie protein shakes a day, uh, cardiovascular workouts to burn fat and build muscle. And then he would also do two hours of muscle training that was, so intense the trainer's motto was basically if you can walk at the end of a workout that you're you didn't work hard enough during the workout so i'm like this this guy literally murdered himself for like one shirtless scene <laughs> in the movie <laughs> and i applaud you know i i like a actor that dives deep into that sort of body transformation whether that's you know losing weight like christian bale and gaining it back or something like that i'm always a sucker for that yeah, I think it's something that we, the audience, should come to appreciate more is what these actors and actresses put their bodies through for for good television and for pulling off these characters. And I gotta say, I would probably vomit after all of those protein shakes. That's uh, right. That's a lot. That's of a little much, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> like there's like YouTube videos of people trying to do the rocks um, diet plan and them just throwing up at the end of the day. Uh, I think I'd be in the same boat if I did any any kind of that many protein shakes during my day. <laughs> it's a lot of cod, man. Um, <laughs> I, I do have some tidbits on age. Um, so we kind of neglected Martha Kent throughout this uh, podcast, played by the great Diane Lane. Um, Amy Adams is only nine years younger than Diane Lane. Um, and also... Um, Henry Cavill is only nine years younger than Amy Adams. So that puts Diane Lane at a solid, if we're going on actual timelines, a solid 18 years old when she may have found Clark Kent. Obviously, that's 
skewed and a little bit different, but I just thought that was pretty funny to think about. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, we didn't we didn't dive too much into into Mama Mama Superman. Um, Martha. <laughs> they made her look extremely old by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, she worked at Sears. We know that much. <laughs> she has a dog. She was a great character, though. She definitely feels like, in a way, she kind of reminded me of my mom. Just really, like, obviously outwardly caring and, you know, a mom. She's the mom type. Yeah, absolutely. She's got she's got a, a, some pretty good scenes uh, in the truck before the tornado. Um, she makes a, a memorable impact in the film. Um, I actually want to remind a little bit more from... From Mama Superman. Uh, yeah, you, you get a little bit more in Batman vs. Superman as well. We'll All get right. to that one. Um, so obviously with these big blockbuster superhero movies now, um, there's a lot of casting rumors. There's a lot of casting dropouts, things like that. Um, so we're probably going to hit this section pretty hard over the next couple movies. But um, some interesting casting uh, for three characters especially, um, obviously Superman, uh, finding the next one, uh, Lois Lane and Feora, who was played by Antje Trau. I don't know if I'm saying that right, it's German, but Superman casting. You ready for this list of who was almost Superman instead of Henry Cavill? Yeah, give it to me. I want to start out by saying... I'm all on Henry uh, as Superman, but uh, send him yes. over. Let's see what we got. He was a, he was a really good Superman, 100% in. Um, so we got Matthew Good, Army Hammer, Matt Bomber, Joe Manganiello, Zach Efron, Colin O'Donohue, and Brandon Routh wanted to reprise his role um, from Superman Returns. Um, we talked about this in the group chat too. The only good thing about Superman Returns was Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, but he, yeah, he he really wanted to <laughs> reprise his role because he had nothing else better going on. Um, what do you think of that list, though? Any that kind of stick out to you? Anybody that you think may have made a pretty decent Superman as well? Um, the one that really jumps out is, is Zac Efron uh, from that <laughs> group. I think all, honestly, all the other ones probably would have been fantastic uh kind of fit the bill as as what you imagine superman as um but yeah zach Efron might have thrown me like i would have been distracted for the whole film i think so I, I do think superman shouldn't be like this it shouldn't be a, a someone who you recognize right away it shouldn't be this like brad pitt kind of zach Efron guy yeah um, it should be a, a guy from kansas like it, it could be Anyone kind of um, not necessarily needed to be Zac Efron or Brad Pitt. So I could have seen any of the other ones. Um, trying to think of any other like surprise Superman castings that I, I would have gone for. Um, and nobody's really jumping out. I'm trying to think of just like people that you know of, um, but maybe aren't in anything big and not, nothing's really coming to mind right right off the bat i'm seeing like chris pratt kind of stuff eh, um he would have been too goofy yeah that's what i, I kind of see that as well zach um, efron um as i mean we saw in baywatch that he can just get shredded and have like 10 pack abs 
I think he would have been a little too short, and it would have been pretty obvious that he was, like, a little small, because I think he's actually only, like, 5'8 or so. Um, Army Hammer, I could have definitely seen, um, because he is a tall, just, like, he has the frame for Superman. Um, I think that's a lot of what you looked at, but I was super bummed that my boy Joe Manganiello did not get the role. Um, he is actually going to be in the DC Universe already. He's going to play um, Deathstroke in The Batman with Ben Affleck as a villain there, but um, apparently Zack Snyder, I found this out on my deep dive, he was a big fan of True Blood, the HBO series that Joe Manganiello is in. Um, and essentially Joe had the role, like he was in there and he was going to be the next Superman, but HBO kind of stepped in and they interfered with that casting and didn't want Joe to be, uh, taken away from True Blood or so something like that. They interfered. That's all I know. They interfered and they ruined my, my hopes and dreams of having a Joe Manganiello, uh, Superman because that guy is like literally one of my idols. <laughs> Yeah, I think Joe would have been just fine in that role. I've I've got I've come up with one, um, maybe a little little out there, but I would like to go back in time and pull teenage Will Arnett to be teenage Superman. Um, I think Will Arnett does a really good job of playing these characters who discover themselves uh, in kind of this depressing way. Um, and emotional ways. I think Teenage Will Arnett would have been a pretty dope Teenage Superman. <laughs> that would have been a little... I, I can see that as being its own separate like superhero comedy. Um, let's talk about um, Feora, because this one, not a whole lot of deep casting that I found, but I thought it was pretty interesting nugget. Um, let's do this one before we dive into Lois Lane, I have a feeling we'll have a lot to say about that. Um... So Feora was originally cast as Gal Gadot, who actually plays Wonder Woman. And the only reason... Damn. That, yeah, the only reason that Gal Gadot did not do it is because she got pregnant, and she could not fill the role. So she Whoa. almost, like... In, thank God for her kids, man. She almost completely missed out on Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, that worked out real well. Good job. The other two that were... Um, uh, at least from what I found that were in the casting sweepstakes for Freyora was Rosamund Pike and also Kate Mara. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I could have seen either of those. Um, I actually would have loved Kate Mara as Lois Lane, but that might have been a little too close to, to House of Cards. Um, <laughs> well, you don't want to have uh, Doug Stamper and... <laughs> Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like <laughs> I can really see her as a um, <laughs> as a journalist. I just really really see her in that journalist role. True, she's good in that. Did you did you say Rooney Mara at all? No, the other one was Rosamund Pike, who we kind of already saw oh. as a sociopath. So that one I could see. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, as that evil. Yeah, I, I would be in on that. I, I really like that character in general. I wish, I wish that, like so many more people in this movie had more screen time. Um, yeah, in canon, she's definitely a lot more prominent. But I mean, you kind of do what you can. I could definitely have seen her as like the main antagonist, actually. Yeah, 
That's true. Gal Gadot, though, man, I'm I'm still blown away by that <laughs> turn of fate. Like, literally, what could have been. Um, real quick though, um, I only found one different casting for Zod, even though Michael Shannon crushed it. I thought this would have been a little bit interesting too. Is Viggo Mortensen was almost cast as Zod. I thought he would have brought a pretty, a pretty good like Russell Crowe, um, just kind of the opposite side of the same coin. Basically, I thought he would have been obviously a little less. Um, angry and maybe screaming like Michael Shannon, but um, he would have been an intriguing villain to me, I think. Yeah, I think so. I honestly could see him as a green goblin. Um, He's got that sharp nose. Um, (laughs) He does kind of have a little evil smile. I can see that. Um, Let's dive into Lois Lane, though, because this one is just... um, Basically, it's a who's who of Hollywood. Um, even around the time they were casting for this, too, which was early 2010s, um, we got Emmy Rossum, Swearcy Ronan, Margot Robbie, Kristen Bell, Olivia Wilde, Mila Kunis, Jessica Biel, and Kristen Stewart was actually offered the role but declined it. Dang. I don't know if I would decline that one. Um I, I'm kind of glad she didn't get it. Kristen Stewart's more of a indie girl now, so she doesn't really want to do these big blockbusters and be tied to a franchise for years to come. That's fair. That's fair. I, I would have loved, actually, Emmy Rossum in that role. Um, I could see that one. That one's good. Yeah, for sure. I uh, The one on that list, though, that I, I absolutely like is uh, Ciorci Ronan. Um, <laughs> Wait, Why? <laughs> Explain um, why. <laughs> so this is what we were talking about beforehand, uh, going into my favorite movie here. She was amazing in Brooklyn. Um, that movie really resonated <laughs> with me. I'm not sure why. Um, the uh, the coming-of-age tale of a, a young Irish uh, a female in the 50s who moves to New or to Brooklyn. Obviously, the name of the movie, um, kind of grown up as an independent woman, uh, Falling in love, some romance, and then ultimately having to choose between um, this romance in Ireland and this romance in Brooklyn. And um, I don't know why that movie, like, growing up in Wisconsin as a, a white male, it just really. <laughs> I'm glad that <laughs> just really hit me, and I really thought it was a wonderful movie. Um, ten out of ten, will watch that again probably many times. This uh, I would recommend <laughs> Brooklyn to anybody. Uh, it it's like sneaky sneaky enjoyable for for the coming of age kind of movies um, which have been done over and over and over um, but this was just like I don't know like maybe I just like saw my grandma or my great grandma in this character but she would have been a wonderful Lois Lane um, and continued that uh, worked her way up as an Irish immigrant to now working at the Daily Planet that would have been wonderful. Coming up next on the Binge Watch series, we're just going to watch Brooklyn <laughs> three times in a row. <laughs> hey, man, it's been done. I, I love me some Brooklyn. I can see, I like Emmy Rossum. I think she would have been, I haven't really watched, yeah. I haven't watched Shameless. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that I haven't watched Shameless, but I haven't. Um, but I, I just know what she looks like. I think she has the look. Because um, that's kind of, I mean, I don't want to just kind of, Typecast and Lois Lane into this like 
this figure that's supposed to just look good or look a certain way, but I think, for example, Margot Robbie and Olivia Wilde, I think they're a little bit too... This is going to sound super weird. I think they're a little bit too sexy for me to, like, actually take them... Oh, I don't. I don't even want to say it. I, I just think they're too sexy for Lois Lane because I think Lois. No, Lane it makes sense. I, I don't really need Lois plain. Lane to be this sex figure. It, yeah, it would be like it would be really odd. I think actually, I want. Honestly, the reason why I didn't really enjoy um, Amy Adams in this role is I kind of feel like they typecast her as this klutzy journalist. But like, this is a journalist that's at the top of her game. Like she's. Pulitzer Prize She's big winning. time. Yeah, Pulitzer, like, she throws that out there as, like, a way to confirm to the men in the room that, like, she even mentions, like, now that we've, are we done with this dick swinging contest? Like, it makes her seem really inferior, um, and I, I just didn't really enjoy her role. Like, I'm sure Amy Adams, I, I mean, Amy Adams is a wonderful actress, um, but it, I would have loved someone just, like, to be cast in that role as a strong journalist. Like, she literally ousts Superman to the world. Um, like, who knows what she could have done with a Twitter account and dropped some, you said some Loge bombs. Um, Loge bombs. <laughs> I think... Like, Lois Lane uh, is a character that should be this... She is Brooklyn, man. She's the the strong, independent woman um, immigrating and, and making a way for herself. And, and they didn't really do that in this film for me god you you love brooklyn um <laughs> i think no for for me it's just the lois lane character i think should just be a little bit more girl next door and not necessarily not necessarily like we said with the superman thing not like that movie star that it's just like so distracting that they're on screen and um I don't know. I don't want to get into too much of that because it's just going to make me sound sexist. <laughs> um, That's fair. That's fair. I I just I think there are, are many many ways that you can go with Lois Lane. You can play her as the Superman love interest. You can play her as um, a ditzy journalist if you want to. But I, I think it's it's 2017. We can have full fledged Lois Lane. Um, breaking breaking some stories and and not getting suspended for ousting Superman and just kind of like rolling over um, all the time. Yeah, definitely. And she drops great puns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to talk before we wrap up here because again I wanted to I said before I wanted to cut this short but it it's just gonna we're just gonna record as long as we can. Um, <laughs> I I talked about this before with. Um, Hans Zimmer, uh, the guy who composed the music for this film, and just I went down his IMDb for his music composing, and the the list is staggering. Um, so classically, John Williams did like the the classic Superman theme, the one that you maybe think of from the older um, iterations of Superman. But Hans Zimmer took over here, and I think that might be why I honestly love this movie so much is because the score is just, it's top-notch, and it's fantastic, and it makes you feel a certain way at certain times, which is good, um, which I can't really say for, like, a whole lot of superhero movies. Um, I just think he 
he crushes the the Superman, the new Superman theme, and uh, Hans Zimmer. I should have made him MVP of the movie because I, I keep on forgetting to to give him his due. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong with with Hans Zimmer. Just throw him on on a Saturday and, and get your chores done, and or maybe at work throw him on in the background. You'll get a whole bunch of stuff done. Right. Uh, he escalates the movie viewing experience. Um, and like every scene where there's a score written, whether it be the the scene with Superman figuring out flight, or a battle scene, or like anything, like it just adds something to it that is like he is a national treasure. <laughs> I don't even know where he's from, but he's a national treasure. That no it's idea. amazing. Um, um, I'm gonna guess German because um, Hans. <laughs> I mean, John Williams is more of the, like, household name. I mean, obviously, you just know his composing from, I mean, the Star Wars theme and the yeah. Indiana Jones theme, all those classics and all the Oscars that he's won. But Hans Zimmer, if, I mean, for those who are uninitiated, he's actually scored, and this is a weird theme, maybe he's the common denominator for why I love all these movies. Um, but I was going down his list, I wrote down a few key ones that stick out to me. Gladiator, another Russell Crowe epic, which happens to be my favorite movie. Um, Interstellar, which is pretty fantastic score. Um, the entire Dark Knight series, the Pirates of the Caribbean series, that one's a fun score. Inception, uh, which is a little interstellary as well. He apparently likes to work with Christopher Nolan a lot. Uh, Black Hawk Down, one of my favorite war movies. The Lion King, who the fuck doesn't love Lion King? And more recently, Dunkirk, which, um, wasn't that up for sound editing or something in this past? Yeah, I, I know, he, that he, he, like, stole the show on that movie. Yeah, um, so... And I think it just speaks to, like, wide, he's as wide-ranging as, like, war movies to Despicable Me to, uh, video games. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. Uh, I can't confirm he's German, um, but he's also <laughs> done, like... Call of Duty Modern Warfare, um, which I, I realize fits with the kind of the war battle stuff, but like you can put him into anything and, and he's just increasing it. The, the range on this IMDb page is, it's amazing and we need to appreciate him every day of our lives. Yeah, he, he really can like capture the emotion in a conflict really well. That's kind of what the theme is so if you're wondering um for me if i'm going to see a movie it's not for a particular actor or because a director is putting it out it's because han zimmer has scored the soundtrack and i want to listen to han zimmer at the movie theater <laughs> that's, that's yeah. my main takeaway now it's the common <laughs> denominator for all my favorite movies <laughs> there you go um, well, that's that's pretty much all I have for Man of Steel. Any last thoughts? Um, let me take a quick scroll through my notes here. I don't think I have anything more to add. Oh, uh, I'm curious, if you were Superman or Clark Kent, would you work at the Daily Planet? Okay, you know what? I'm actually really pissed about this. Um, because <laughs> I'm currently, I've just started my first class for, um, graduate school to get my master's in journalism. And 
I don't even know if Clark Kent even went to college because they don't talk about that. It seems like he spent most of his adult life trying to find answers for who he is. And Metropolis is essentially New York, and the Daily Planet is basically the New York Times. And I'm kind of pissed that he just walked in and was able to get a job because he has to, quote, keep his ear to the ground. Fucking yeah, Clark Kent, I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm just, like, thinking about his resume of, like, in this movie he plays, like, a waiter, a barback, basically, and a fisherman, um, and then somehow is a journalist. But, like, he's got all these superhero powers. Like, he could be a surgeon, probably, if he wanted to. He could be a scientist solving global warming. And yeah. he's just, like... I'm just gonna go apply at the New York Times and, <laughs> and keep my ear to the good, ground. And that part, charisma. like, I get it. Like, it totally makes sense as a journalist. Um, like the way they phrase it of of what he needs to do there, and he can be in all these dangerous situations as a journalist, and nobody will question why he's there. Um, it makes sense. It, it totally yeah. makes sense. But I'm like, dude, there are so many things. Like, teenage Clark Kent would be mad that you became. Uh, a writer for the New York Times by just walking in the door instead of like, I don't know. He could literally just be anything. He could probably run for like head of the UN. I don't even know how you become the head of the UN, but he could do it. Um, I'm in my feelings about it. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one other thing I wanted to say. Uh, I, I was just curious what, what, you thought of him becoming a journalist at the I, end of the movie. I did say this like a hundred times throughout this entire podcast too, but we do get into a little bit more in Batman versus Superman about Clark Kent wanting to be more inquisitive and be able to, you know, go after crimes and like usually like actually keep his ear to the ground. But, um, uh, you know, Perry wants him to cover Gotham football instead. Um, <laughs> Batman vs Superman is going to be a good podcast for us, I think. Though I'm excited. Yeah. To, got to watch the entire, um, the extended version as well, because I think that's that's the real movie. I saw it in theaters, and it, yeah, it's a little choppy, but you knew there was a good movie in there, and I think you get that good movie by watching the extended version. Just watching all like two and a half hours of it. Nice. We're we're coming up on that mark right now with this pod. I've got one last little nugget that I, I want to see if you ca- caught. Go when Zod uh, comes across all of the digital airwaves, uh, what time of day was it? Let's see. Well, Clark was watching a Kansas football game for some reason. Yes, he um, was. <laughs> what time was it? And, but where was Lois Lane? Oh, she was at the office. She was at the office. Or apparently everybody was. And Clark Kent was watching a night football game in Kansas. They messed up time zones somewhere in there, or Metropolis is on the east or west coast. I mean. uh, Pouring late hours there at the Daily Planet. That's how you get shit done. I'm all about the east coast, superior time zone living out here. But that really threw me for a loop where I was like, man, the east coast people are still at work uh, at Metropolis, uh, the Daily Planet. And Clark Kent's just over there watching football at night somehow. <laughs> well, there is another scene before the FBI picks up Lois Lane. Um, she's just chilling at home watching AM news. 
like, <laughs> sipping on tea. So maybe she just kind of picks her own hours. I don't know. Maybe she likes That's to work fair. in the afternoon. That's fair. <laughs> uh, it was just a, a fun little, I don't know, mind trip. Maybe they don't want me to know where Metropolis is. <laughs> but we can wrap up on, on that. Yeah, I would. My my assumption always was that Metropolis was New York and Gotham was like Jersey or something. <laughs> oh. I don't know. No disrespect to all the listeners out in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we want to thank you again for listening to the Pod Chat Show. We are going to be diving deep into all the rest of the DC universe leading up to that November date when Justice League drops, which I'm super fucking torqued for. I can't wait to watch that movie. Uh, you can catch this uh, podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, basically, any normal place to get a podcast. Quinn, you got anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say before we leave? Any time zone related anecdotes? <laughs> um, no other time zone related anecdotes. Enjoy yourself this weekend uh, at the Madison uh, Homecoming festivities. And if you see Jordan Smith out on the streets in a bar, go walk up to him, let him know if you're enjoying the pod. Uh, you can find me yeah. on Twitter at Hello Quinny. Uh, that's Q-U-I-N-N-Y. Um, last week I went on a weird little tweet storm about um, the Catholic Church and their um, email change back in the early 2000s. Uh, I had some weird random stuff on there, but I'll try to post a little bit more original content if you want to check me out on there. Yeah, uh, we're coming in hot with some new content soon. You can always catch me at acmepackingcompany.com Twitter handle at Jordan underscore Smith um, Snapchat, you don't need to have that um, Yeah, thanks for listening guys, this is the Podchat Show um, and remember you can always aspire to be something greater We will make it someday Listen to what I say I begin to think it We skip by for the weekend